Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 23 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Dean Ayers, and I am joined as ever by my esteemed co-host, Mr. Liam Hap. Liam, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, Dean. I think I'm in a very similar place to you. No, not the same bed as you before any of our listeners try and cut in with that. But the same place uh, psychologically. You and I are, well, we've had a bit of a rough time, haven't we? We have dragged ourselves up off our deathbeds. It's different deathbeds to be full, here. Full-blown man flu. It's yeah. full-blown man flu. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. man. I, well, what, mine is, as a parent now, obviously, I've got parent flu, which is you get everything your kid has. And then after having to look after them for like five, six days, uh, being ill, snotting everywhere, being mopey, usual stuff, you then have to deal with them being at 100% peak condition, bouncing around everywhere while you go through it. It's fantastic, Dean. (laughs) I see. Well, well, mine was, I went to, I was on holiday last week. I went to Rome, beautiful city. Um, We uh, managed to uh, avoid an escalator collapse by one station on the line. Oh, uh, we had uh, hailstones and floods on the first night, but other than that, it was cracking. Um, and uh, the last day, went to the Vatican um, and went to the Sistine Chapel, the, the very end of the Vatican Museum. And what what should be an amazing experience is made awful by the fact that they just herd you in like cattle, cram you in as many people as they can into there as they as possible. Uh, in a huge twist of irony, shout over a booming microphone for you to be silent. Um, and I think it was one of those things where you had people from literally all over the world. Uh, I could tell where people were from because I kept clocking various uh, football shirts from around the world. Uh, lots of Boca Junior fans in Rome for some reason. Um, but yeah, lots of germs from all over the world being spread in the same room. Uh, and that was the evening I started to feel ill. It's either that or it's like divine retribution for me walking around uh, the Vatican as, a, as a, an atheist who's, who's always cynical about religion. One or the other, probably the first one. But um, but yeah. So uh, I'm uh, I, I'm sounding a bit like I've got a clothes peg on my nose. But hey, we soldier on, don't we, Liam? We do, and it's a good thing we uh, you know, we don't make a huge, massive salary with TV exposure uh, using our voice primarily, unlike the people we'll be looking at today. Well, yes, we uh, we have a, a special guest with us today, but it is not someone who is joining us live on Skype. It is this one of our interviews. So we, we did Jeff Jarrett before, and yes. um, you've you've bagged yourself a very interesting guest. I've got to give credit to the assist. AS with the assist, he got a good old ball in from you know, a good early cross, and I made it with my head for for one nil. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was a few months ago, we were having a little chat with a few guys. Uh, just to, you know, we've got the Twitter account, 
at BecauseWCW. Please follow us to keep track of the episodes. But we also engage with our fans all the time. You know, we, we do polls about your favourite WCW themes, this, that and the other, favourite WCW video games. We'll have a chat with anyone about wrestling. We love WCW, we love wrestling. So get in touch with us there. And as we were doing exactly that, uh, who chimed in the, uh, on a particularly lively conversation, so lively, I can't remember exactly what it was about, but one, <laughs> David Penza, and that is where you, sir, Mr. A.S., went, why don't you uh, come and join our show? And he didn't hesitate. It's a, it took a few months to actually arrange it, you know, through various commitments. So you and I are busy, he's very busy, but we finally got that moment, and he gave us plenty of time, and he was absolutely brilliant. So I won't spoil too much of the interview. He goes in-depth about his time at the uh, at World Championship Wrestling, and bear in mind, he was there for every Nitro, every Thunder, so much stuff. You, you And just think of the downtime between tapings with with the likes of Scott Hall and Chris Jericho. There's some great stories to come. But given that uh, we tend to go on side notes about ring announcers on most pay-per-view episodes we cover, and particularly the WCW production nightmares that cause said ring announcing to be all over the place and some well, harebrained yeah. decision-making. So why not look at the ring announcers for this episode? Well, yeah, this this was the thing that I've mentioned on many, many pay-per-views that it really annoyed me because you'd have... Dave, I think it was normally Dave Penzo. I don't think we ever had this problem in the Gary Michael Capetta era, but that was obviously different people running the show then. Um, but yeah, you'd have Dave Penzo would start out and you'd just hear his muffled voice in the background where he's all announcing to the live audience only. And then halfway through an announcement, he'd suddenly come through on the on the desk as such. It'd come through on, on your TV screen. It, it just always annoyed me, really. Yeah, Penza will go in depth on that. And yeah, it, it, it did mostly pertain to his time as the lead ring announcer. And that's because of who was executive producer. And also because of that era. You know, Penza started in 95. That's when Monday Nitro started. This was very much Bischoff's big play to become the number one promotion, which which worked for a short period of time. And yeah, Penza will tell us all about... Uh, some of the ideas that Bischoff had that were successful and some that weren't so successful. Um, as far as Gary Michael Capet goes, and this this is the best place to start because yeah, ha- another thing that comes up on every episode, Dean, is you and I, WCW Worldwide, again, not together, not in the same bed, um, watching those late night episodes on ITV in the early 90s. And if it did happen, it'd be really concerning because I was much younger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And and during that, you know, there's a lot of things on. We, you know, we pay tribute to Big Van Vader after his passing, and he was one of those guys that just drew us in. And there are little things that all, you know, that aren't solely to be credited for why we were big WCW fans, but there are things that are very much part of the furniture of those memories that get embedded in you. And I would say the voice of Gary Michael Capetta is one of them. And yet there were plenty of production, maybe not that particular production error that Penza will elaborate on later, but there were plenty of production errors during those early days as well, pretty much throughout those, those entire tenure. Uh, but yeah, we, we have very fond memories of Capetta because that, that voice, you know, the way he announced, he would, uh, he deliberately leave out the, the the you know the 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 mortar of a sentence he wouldn't actually read it out like he's reading a sentence it would just be you know Pittsburgh Pennsylvania two twenty pounds 
firebreaker chip or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. His voice was, you know, I always remember, it's sad as it sounds, I always remember the way he'd call the Steiner brothers. So it'd be, the Steiner brothers. And little things like that stick with you, especially if you're a bit weird like me. Well, I always remember in the WWF, Howard Finkel, with, with the way he'd announced Brett Hitman Hart, you'd have Brett Hitman, the long Hitman, and then there was almost this little hut as, uh, at the end, like, you know, the old American football hut, hut, hut. It was this very, yeah, yeah. something like that. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story about Gary Michael Capetra. I don't think I've ever told you this story, actually. Um, when I started ring announcing for Hammerlock in 93, I remember I wrote a letter Back in back in the old days of writing letters to people pre-internet, I wrote a letter to Gary Michael Capetta, care of WCW. You didn't. Uh, sorry to interject. You didn't try to destroy his myth, did you? I didn't. No, oh, no, thank that, God. I, I, I only tried to destroy the myth of Sting. No. <laughs> um, I I sent um sent a, a letter to him and asking, you know, just say I've I've started ring announcing myself and you know, have you got any tips, any advice you could give me and, and, and stuff. And then I remember also saying that I think this must have been it must have been like ninety four because they had a, a UK tour scheduled, and I asked him, you know, if um if, you know if he if he was going to be coming over for the UK tour. And I actually got you know got a reply back from him. I remember I, I remember I got the reply back on the weekend of the World Cup final of 1994, which was in, held in the USA. And um, he basically, I, I honestly can't remember the advice he gave me now, which is which is great. But um, he he then mentioned that oh um no I, I won't be um on the tour. And I wrote back and basically, basically was like, "How do I get your job then?" Um, <laughs> and he and I got another reply from him. I can't remember what he said, but it was it was basically it was you know, it was the, it was a very polite way of saying, "Get lost, kid. You're not you know you haven't got a hope in hell." But it was done in a really nice way. Um, and then they ended up getting a British boxing ring announcer. I yes, think I mentioned you thing. have mentioned. I can't remember his name, Mike. Someone. He basically he was he was a guy who who owned boxing rings and was therefore got himself as ring announcer by the fact that he'd provide the ring, and he announced Vader as something that sounded very much like father. And Vader was so unhappy that he basically jumped out of the ring and just trashed his uh, MC's table at ringside for it, um, and and that was that was that. But yeah, so so my interactions with Gary Michael Capetta were brief, but what a lovely bloke. And um, and then our our interactions with um, with Dave Penzer again, what a lovely bloke. So um, clearly, if you're a ring announcer, you're a lovely bloke, which is why I stopped ring announcing. <laughs> I was going to say something, but <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that story. We had it in the Vade tribute, and I'm trying to remember his name. So I'm, I'm just not in. I'm too heavily medicated to, without cheating and looking it up. But yeah, uh, that you know, he's a British boxing guy. I remember that, that was a yeah. Story. I'm sure his first name's Mike, but yeah, yeah, which is fitting. I think all ring announcers should be called Mike. Should be, yeah, yeah. If you think about it. Absolutely. Are you Makes thinking, sense. Are you thinking about it? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is the phenomenon of uh, nominative determinism, as they call it. Yes. Yeah. I just thought I'd Norm Macdonald the shit out of that. It seems to be my <laughs> thing at, at the moment. But um, yeah, so 
Capetta, yeah, he's you know he was a good ring announcer and his voice was really trademark. And a little side note as well, because you brought up the Fink and rightly so, I you know, Fink had these little things as well. These these things you remember. And you know, one thing I noticed about Hal Finkel as a ring announcer is he got a lot more FaceTime on camera than your typical ring announcer. And I really believe the reason for that, and it won't, it's not until, unless we ask like Bucky Beaver himself, Kevin Dunn, or, or I've get just the remembered line. the name, Mike Goodall. Mike Goodall, there we go. Mike Goodall was his name, I'm sure. Yes. Sorry. Just but popped yeah, into my head. Unless, unless an actual producer from the 80s and 90s WWF confirms this directly, I am adamant that. The reason why Howard Finkel was on TV a lot more than most other ring announcers was because if you watch the when he does his ring, he was the most animated guy. His shoulders would go, his eyes would widen. He knew how to do it for the screen as well as for your ears. And yeah, and that's why Howard Finkel's won the best of all time. And I just had to bring that when you mentioned Fink earlier. But him and Capet, you got the you know the old school WWE, old school WWF ring announcer. They were guys that pretty much stamped their mark on it. And that's another thing that Pens will bring up. I asked him directly about following Capetta as the as the main ring announcer. Not only that, but Penza answers very honestly whether or not Gary Michael Capetta had any hard feelings about being replaced by Penza. So definitely give a listen to that in a little bit. So yeah, we, we move on to Dave Penza, who, you know, from, from our own personal record, we know he's a very nice guy. But for, for anyone who has only known of him via listening to WCW coverage, you'll know him as the, you know, he's probably the more recognisable to considering how many more people tuned into WCW during like the new world order uh, era and maybe a little bit as of their downfall in the last few years, they'll, they'll recognise Penza's voice more than Capetta. And here's, you know, if you think about it, I mean, we'll be going to this a little later on, but his, his consistency, his dedication, he also, yeah, it's, it's hard to follow Capetta as far as having distinct voice, but he certainly gave it a great effort. Uh, and one thing I did learn, I will spoil one thing ahead of the interviews. One thing I was guided to learn was that, you know, and this happens a lot. You think of commentators, announcers, guys like Shivani, JR. There's a lot of um, overlap with guys who are involved in the front end of, of production getting in behind the scenes and sometimes even behind the scenes creative and Penza was actually starting to get a bit of creative control in the dying days of WCW and I don't know if any of you remember this but the last six months of WCW were actually flirting with watchable and sometimes even giving a wink to enjoyable as well do you remember the last pay-per-view um was it greed or silly? Greed. It was greed, wasn't it? We've covered we, greed. We looked yeah. at that and it was, it was pretty good. As a standalone pay-per-view, it was pretty bloody good. I really think we'll have the same appraisal when the time comes for us to look at anything from Mayhem 2000 onward. There'll be plenty to laugh at as well because you know, the, 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 some of the problems are still there. We'll have Sid breaking his leg. We'll have a few other horrible matches in the last six months. But there's a lot of good. It's, it's, it's a watchable thing. Uh... And, you know, David Penns was one of the guys brought in 
and he was hoping to, to build this up if, if, if they'd been sold to a Bischoff's consortium if that went through Penzel was going to be because he'd earned oh. up that respect by being there week after week doing a good job starting to get involved in other aspects of the business doing things the right way and he's very happy with his life now it's a shame he never got to get a bit more well this is going to come from me because I've written about three years worth of what happens if WCW stayed alive fan fiction but yeah <laughs> it's a shame that David Penzer never got to do that for real but um, yeah and, and, and the other thing I want to bring up on ring announcers is the elephant in the room the other major guy and he was only ever a part time he, was, he, he wasn't quite the same as a Capero or Penzer is of course Michael Buffer and I know you have plenty to say on that of all the times it comes up Dean this is your chance. The floor is yours. Tell us about the Michael Buffer hiring, the Michael Buffer conundrum, why it was a bad idea. Go. To me, it was just an unnecessary expense. You know, I'm sure Michael Buffer didn't come cheap. And, you know, if Penza says he's a, a nice guy, then I have no reason to doubt he's a nice guy. But he's an expensive nice guy. And I, I know it does give things, you know, a, a little bit of a special feel. But. I can guarantee you not one single person ever ordered a pay-per-view to see Michael Buffer do the ring announcing. Yeah. So um, it's it was just one of your typical WCW unnecessary expenses. I've always said as, uh, regarding ring announcing that you know you can you can have a great show or an okay show enhanced by a ring announcer. A bad ring announcer will never ruin a show, but a good ring announcer will enhance a show. And, you know, it's it's just one of those things that you didn't need him. And I, I think another thing with ring announcing that, that um, I mean, Penzer does mention as how he kind of got his foot in the door in that kind of side of things in WCW was that you know you not only are you there on just doing the announcements for the you know for the cameras or for the audience but also there's a lot of interaction with the live crowd <laughs> um, I don't know, I don't want to spoil it but David will go into that here yeah. there's a great story coming don't worry but but you know as far as getting the crowd you know especially for something like a TV taping and I've got to say from my personal experience no one can touch Jeremy Borash when when he'd be over here for TNA tapings impact tapings but you know you've got to get that crowd hot you've got to get them nicely warmed up um so that you get that great reaction to start the show off um and that is a very important part of the the role that Unless you're at the event live, you don't get to see. But it is, you know, it is an important part of the of the job. You've got to you've got to be engaging with the crowd as such, you know. Yeah. Um. The the well, I saw uh, what one thing first is you you brought up the whole, uh, you know, you know, there's so many facets to the job, and I think there is. So I, I like to think he's still listening. I thought a former guest of the show, Mr. Mike Quackenbush. You know, who runs a promotion, Shikara. I hope we haven't scared him off just yet with some of our <laughs> whining and, and swearing and cussing. But if he's still listening, I'm sure he would attest. Uh, one thing Shikara was very good at, not not just once, but multiple occasions, is they all have a, a regular resident ring announcer, and that guy will become part of the furniture. He will become a character. 
Not one that wrestles. Usually not one that is part of storylines. Though they did uh, they did float that a couple of times. And it weren't too bad. Think of uh, Gavin Loudspeaker. That was very good. Uh, Vlad Radinov did it after him. He's since left. But they would always have ring announcers that would be part. And they would uh, MC the show. They didn't rap with the fans. They'd, they 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 had they had characters and personalities. Um, just like the wrestlers, but they wouldn't wrestle. They wouldn't feud, as, uh, apart from one time when they had Gavin Loudspeaker wrestle Tim Donst, which was actually quite entertaining. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that is one guy who who's hopefully listening who'll be able to attest that, yeah, this is, this is something that's very much a key thing. But I want to also get on the devil's advocate of it, Michael Buffer. I agree most what you say about Buffer. It's you know most people do. It's a lot of money. There's so many silly expenses. If you want to read about some some of them, check out the amazing Nitro book that was released earlier this year. Uh, oh, how there's there's plenty more stupid uh, expenses. Oh yeah, than there's that. so many of them. And this is and this is one of many. But for me, if because what got my goat about Buffer was that he would show up on every pay per view and. He would call random main events. I think he even did a few nitros for matches that would end in the usual, what became known as the NWO Sports Entertainment Finish. You know, like they brought <laughs> Michael Buffer in for fucking that. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Right? You you cut down massively on the frequency and you pay that same, whatever the one-off commission is, you pay it for... Sting versus Hogan, Starcade '97, and you pay it for Goldberg winning the title of Hogan at the Dome. Uh, it will to me that be even if it is. I know Buffer's not drawing the money, uh, but you use it just for those occasions, and I think you're really adding something. That's just yeah. my take. Like it, he could have been. It was not so much Buffer's presence in WCW. It was his precise use and the the whimsical nature of it. Uh, but you imagine, like you, you you know, you you get the the Sterling job by Penza week in week out, and no no disrespect to him, just that one match, that big match. You bring in the big guns, the main event. Oh yeah, it's a nice it's a nice touch on occasion, but it's an additional expense that won't, as I said, won't 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 draw a single extra buy, but it is, yeah, if you use it like, you know, once a year or something, then yeah. Cause you think yeah. star, star 97, which is the example I used was like their big, pay, you know, massive yes. grossing event. As we, as we famously said, right at the start of this podcast in episode one, uh, it made more money than WCW was ultimately sold for <laughs> three and a bit years later. Uh, and why not take a, a little chunk of that profit and throw it at Buffer just to just to really amp it up and add to the specialness? Because heaven knows it's one thing to draw that gate and have that big record, but as we touch, you know, re- episode one of this podcast is Starcade '97. Go back, guys, listen to that. Forgive us for the inferior production back then, and and listen to what we say about how it's one thing to get people in through the door mate but if you want to have that gate at starcade 98 99 2000 hell if you even want to be staging a 2001 2002 2003 starcade uh make the show worthwhile and it's not just the 
hideous finishes of the big matches it's making things like that special but by that point Michael Buffle as I said by that point Michael Buffle's showing up for for like non-finishes on Nitro for crying out loud so um, yeah that is the Michael well, Buffer conundrum indeed right shall we uh, shall we crack on with uh, pressing play on this interview with Mr. Penza let's do it I'm excited for this and just a quick heads up this was done uh, this is a phone call and loudspeaker recorded Audio quality is going to dip for this, but who cares? It's David Penzer, the man who was there week in, week out during the biggest years of World Championship Wrestling. This man has seen some things and he's, he's going to reveal a secret or two in this one. Consistency wasn't a word often associated with World Championship Wrestling, but my guest at this time is the exception that proves the rule. He was there for every Nitro and every Thunder across a six-year span, and those of you who watch from 99 onwards will know what a monumental feat that is. Considered by many as the voice of WCW, it's our honour here at Because WCW to welcome Mr. David Penzer. David, thank you for taking your time uh, in, your, in your free time to speak to us today. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah, uh... You never want to give anybody else an opportunity to take your job. So you show up for every show, whether it's 25 a month. Uh, don't let anybody else uh, show up and do your job because they might be better than you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, it was quite some mileage over the course of, of, of that six years with the with Nitro and with Thunder. But first off, I went to ask you because... Uh, you you have not long come back from doing another podcast recording. In addition to having your own series, you've uh, you've just done a little guest spot for one of the most popular in the wrestling podcast genre, uh, Chris Jericho's. How was that? It was fun. I haven't seen Chris in a long time. We actually, you know, I saw him at a couple of WrestleManias at the hotel. He was with his family, so I just said hello. And but we haven't really spent any time chatting. Uh, we live like ten minutes from each other. We were talking about how crazy it is that uh, that that we don't see each other more. Uh, but you know, he said that when he travels so much, so when he's home, he likes to spend time with his family and his kids. And I certainly understand that. And so, uh, but it was it was fun. We had a chance to reminisce, and uh, I was telling him that you know uh, one of the reasons I work so hard because didn't want to give somebody else a chance to take my spot. So. Uh, it's the second time today I've spoken about that, but uh, yeah, you uh, not that not that I didn't have confidence in my work, but you never know who the uh, vice president's uh, brother's son wants a job, and so they say, uh, give him a tryout. You never know. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I for one appreciate your hustle to wrestling podcast, and especially today. Uh, one thing I have to ask you, just need to double check: Did your jacket come out of the Jericho recording unscathed? Uh, we discussed my jacket, but uh, but uh, he didn't he didn't rip he didn't physically assault me. You can't do that anymore, man. You can't do that anymore. That's uh, that, that we live in a totally different world with a PC culture. You can't assault people. That's very true. <laughs> um, well, I, I would like to think that over twenty years, Mister Jericho has matured. But then again, I've seen him in action <laughs> in Japan, and he's got quite a mood swing, hasn't he? He's been amazing in Japan lately. 
reminiscing about the old days and uh, about WCW and some of the crazy stuff that went on because we traveled together a lot. And, uh, and so we've had some, a lot of stories we've been waiting to tell. But um, And I'm not sure when that's going to air, but, uh, but I look forward to that. It should be fun. But, uh, but yeah, that, I, you know, I pointed out to him, you know, and, and uh, he's one of the most uh, – He's one of the, the, the most uh, creative people that I've ever seen in this business. I mean, talk about a guy who's recreated himself in, in so many different ways. It's just incredible. But I was telling him that the, the part about the, the, the angle that was so that, – that I thought was, was, was made it different wasn't that he would he, – you know, he would take he – would, he would lose the match and he'd rip my jacket off and then he'd take my chair that I sat in and he, 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 you know, hit it on the steel post and ruined my chair. And, you know, so the next week when he came out with a new jacket, you know, that was the, that got heat. But Jer- if you notice with Chris, he almost always, unless he's playing a real serious heel, he almost always adds a little bit of, of humor, uh, uh, sarcasm to, to his role. And so I, I told him today the funny part was, wasn't, you know, was that he would come out and he'd bring me the new jacket, and then he'd hand me a new chair. Like, I'm in a build, an arena of 20,000 people, and I don't have a chair to sit in, that he has to give me a new chair. But it was always, <laughs> the, even going even going back to then, it was always the, the, the little tiny things that nobody else thought of that makes Chris so unique and makes his, his, his him, him, you know, so relevant so many years later in so many different, uh, you know, roles. I, I, I have... A ton of respect for for Chris, not only as a, as a friend, but um, but as a character. Uh, it just uh, he never ceases to recreate himself. And I was a big fan of the list and a big fan of the, the Kevin Owens stuff. And before that, when he came back and uh, like his first three or four interviews, didn't say a word. Uh, and stood out there for about fifteen minutes each time. It's just. Uh, constantly coming up with, with, with incredibly creative stuff so I can't say enough about Chris oh yeah and as a huge Jericho fan myself it's it's definitely worth stressing ju- just how much he brings to the table and it really stands out especially in this day and age where the biggest mainstream outlet is a very heavily scripted very homogenised product and, and guys like Chris Jericho are, are one in a million that's for sure but it's a great segue into one of the questions I really want to pick your brain about with regards to WCW because you know in addition to Chris Jericho there are certainly a, a lot of ambitious creative go-getters on that roster during your time working there as an announcer spending a lot of time behind the scenes you obviously have that close relationship with Chris Jericho but what one of the things you must get a lot of questions about is that time where things really started to come off the rails at WCW and you know Jericho was one of the most prolific ones a year after doing all that great stuff for the Hilton there he was Plan his exit strategy because he saw the writing on the wall. Uh, as one of those guys backstage, you 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 must be privy to so many degrees of frustration from the talent who just wanted the chance to do what Chris Jericho was doing. Yeah, you know it's funny how, how things go when when guys like Chris Jericho and Benoit and Eddie and Chavo and uh, Bill Demott. Uh, so the, the list goes on and on. Dean Malenko, the the Luchadors. Uh, it's really an endless list. When, when they first started, they were thrilled. They were getting a good paycheck, and they were being featured on you know the number one cable television show. But uh, anybody who's who's in the wrestling business, especially physically in the wrestling business, 
uh, you know, they get to a point in their, their career, their life, where they want to rise up above what they're do, you know, originally doing. It was fun at first, but then you want to you want to grow as a as as as, as a character, or grow as a wrestler, and and have an opportunity to succeed. You know, I started as the ring announcer, and the, you know, other than some stuff behind the scenes that I added to my rep- repertoire on my resume, uh, you know, there wasn't much much for me to go. That there was a plan in place. Uh, down the road, possibly for me to do play-by-play, and I did some play-by-play on some of the uh, overseas stuff that was uh, of, uh, that was pre-taped and sent overseas. But um, but but yeah, uh, it, 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 a lot of these guys grew really frustrated um, without not having the opportunity. And there's unfortunately uh, there's only so many mouths to feed. And how do you tell a Randy Savage or? Um, Scott Hall or Hulk Hogan or Roddy Piper or, you know, the list goes on and on. How do you tell them that they have to take a back seat even though they're, they've been drawn, they've got you to the dance for guys that are, are unproven in that role? Uh, I'm not saying that, 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 that they were wrong to, 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 you know, not take a chance and, and try to, you know, mix it up a little bit and, and, and bring some parody to the roster. But I, I, I do understand both sides for sure. You know, I hosted a panel with Eric Bischoff at StarCast, and he was on my podcast as well. And, you know, I understand his position. And his position was, you know, there's only so many mouths to feed, and, and, and the mouths to feed are, that you have to feed are the ones that are making the most money and B, that have a history of producing the best television rating and buy rate. Uh, but, but, but then again, I understand the, 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 the young guys, the – uh, the Malenkos and the, the, the Jerichos and the Benoits who, who wanted the opportunity to grow. And, uh, you know, there's, 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 <laughs> it's two sides to both story. And I sort of understand both sides, but it, 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 it didn't make for a fun environment sometimes. Um, you know, we always had fun traveling together and on the road and at the bars after the show, but sometimes the, uh, the actual matches and the shows, the, the actual, uh, events, especially the television events at some point, uh, became not as fun anymore because uh, everybody was pretty miserable. Yeah. Um, tell those of us who aren't too sure of your, your early story, tell us about how you got started with WCW, how this all began. Well, what happened was um, I was always a big wrestling fan growing up. I was uh, a student of the business. Uh I used to have my, in my head, I used to have my own little territory. I would write it down on paper and I booked, uh, you know, a month's worth of uh, of, a few of of, of angles between, they were real wrestlers that obviously I had read about or I had seen on TV that, uh, that weren't in, you know, major NWA, Duke Crockett promotions. And I, I booked sort of like, I don't know, like a Portland like territory with a bunch of uh, uh, guys who were sort of journeymen. So it's not so just me like, that does that. Brilliant. I thought I thought it was just me. I'm so glad I'm not alone. <laughs> exactly. No, I think I think a lot more people are guilty of that than uh, probably would care to admit. Yeah. And I got nothing. To, I got nothing to hide. Uh, but but so I was always a fan of the of the business and always wanted to get into business. Um, I was a mobile DJ when I was uh, in high school and uh, worked at a high school radio station. So. I had some experience on a microphone. That was about the only thing I had going for me. I had no athletic ability. I was five six. Um, so the only thing I had going for me uh, 
in the wrestling business was a driving passion to get involved somehow, uh, the love of the, the, the industry, and uh, and I could talk on a microphone. So I, um, there was a company called the Global Wrestling Alliance back in 86 when WWF was hot, and they went on the uh, penny stock market and raised some money uh, to do some tapings. Uh, they did their first one at Diplomat, famous Diplomat Hotel in Miami Beach, and later on they taped at a studio. Um, long story short, they didn't last that long, but I got involved through a friend of my dad's, uh, and the booker is a guy by the name of Bob Roop, who had been a um, uh, potential Olympic hopeful, a real shooter wrestler, and a pretty famous uh, star in the 70s and early 80s in the territories. And so he was booking, and when the company closed down, me and him, who had become friends, bought the ring, the wrestling ring, and we started promoting indie thing. He didn't have anything to do either, so he started to promote indie shows around South Florida and became friendly. And he was a uh, confidant of Ole Anderson. So when Ole got the book in WCW, after Dusty had left and, and Turner had bought the company, he called Bob and asked Bob to be one of his agents. So Bob went up there and put in a good word for me. And, and what I didn't realize at the time is even though Jody Hamilton, who was the masked assassin, um, even though he was the one who booked all the, in, uh, the, the, the enhancement guys, um, the, the guys who did jobs, uh, he didn't, he had a system set up so he didn't have to book like 25 guys, uh, like reach out to 25 guys every week. Mm-hmm. He had, I'd call them like captains or agents in each territory. So hustler Rip Rogers was up in Ohio and Kentucky. Uh, the Italian Stallion and George South were in the Carolinas. Um, there was a guy named Mike Jackson who was in Alabama. And what they would do is they would each bring four or five talented uh, local wrestlers each week. Um, and they would, and they were looking for somebody to do that from Florida. So, And they would get a booking fee from the guys that they booked. So WCW didn't have to pay out of pocket. So Bob helped arrange, Bob Group helped arrange the deal where uh, I wouldn't get paid from WCW, but they would pay for a rental van. And I booked five to six wrestlers every week, drove all the way from South Florida all the way up to Atlanta and back, picking up guys along the way. And then they would give me $25 each. Uh, When I was up there at the shows, I decided, you know, this is my one shot, so I better... I better, you know, start working. So I, I any kind of stooge, stooge job I could find, uh, I would do, um, you know, and I would never ask for money for it. So running guys to the interviews uh, uh, that JR and Tony Schiavone would do, uh, there were sign-in sheets uh, uh, that had to be signed, uh, that, that had to be taped done, uh, new information sheets for the new enhancement guys so they could get paid. And I just, uh, Junkyard Dog once nicknamed me Walking Man, and, and people from back in that era, like if I saw Tommy Rich tomorrow, he'd say, hey, Walking Man, because <laughs> all I did was walk around. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it got so people knew me so that when it came time and Tony Gilliam lost his job as the backup ring announcer, um, they gave me an opportunity to try out for that job, and, and the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, from from there, you I mean, the, the main guy in the early 90s, obviously, was uh, Gary Michael Capetta, who was, uh, you know, a very distinct 
a synonymous voice for that early WCW programming, even over here in the UK where we had a just a late night one hour slot to get our fix of what was happening week after week. A uh, very distinct voice. So w when the time came in, in 1995, Dave, uh, the, the Nitro era where you moved up to become the main ring announcer, uh, how how difficult was it to to you know follow on from the legacy that Capet have left? There was there anything you you did to try and make your style, your voice particularly distinct? Gary, Gary was one of a kind. He still is um, a good friend, and um, and he was very gracious. Not only did I get to study him uh, from behind, from you know behind the curtain, uh, I would you know for years when I was bringing the guys up, um, and also when I was the second string ring announcer, the backup ring announcer, I would still bring the guys up and stuff. So I was at every event. Uh, sometimes I ring the bell. Uh, you know, because they were paying me every week to be a backup ring announcer, so second string ring announcer. So I'd be at every event. Uh, still brought up some guy, enhancement guys, and so I. So when I'm ringing the bell, I got to, to see, uh, or just you know, go out into the audience during the show. Uh, when I was, uh, if I wasn't doing anything that night, I got to study from one of the best uh, people as far as warm up guys and keeping the crowd going, guys. Uh, in, in, the, in the history of the business. And so when I got a chance to take over, um, I, I tried to, and plus Gary was very, very nice about his time and, and it kind of took me under his wing. And he knew that about a year out, he wasn't coming back. And, he, and although I didn't believe him, uh, he kept telling me, no, you're the guy. And I kept saying, nah, they'll, they'll offer you more money and you'll come back. And he's like, I ain't coming back. But uh, he, so he really took me under his wing and, uh, I never copied him, but I would take part of the things that he did and I'd make them my own. So I, I, I never wanted to copy him, but I, I, I would, you know, I, I, every little part of my shtick was a little bit of Gary Capetta and then the rest, David Penzer, uh, put my own spin on it. But, you know, almost everything that I learned, I learned uh, watching him night in and night out. Yeah, um, another famous voice associated with WCW programming, to an extent, arguably the most famous voice in combat sports and presentation, uh, the one and only Michael Buffer, which was always a fascinating thing when it comes to WCW, because obviously there's no denying what Michael Buffer adds to a production, when, especially when he calls a main event, but there were certainly a lot of times where you take a look at, at what WCW are putting out, and uh, we've done it all. Whenever we review a, a pay-per-view here on Because WCW, it's often a question we ask ourselves, was it really worth bringing in Michael Buffer to do one match on that show? Uh, so from, from the inside, I, I was curious what, what, the, what the frame of mind of, of you and others were about Michael Buffer and how he was utilised and whether or not it was worth it. I don't think Gary liked it. I don't think I'd be speaking out of turn by saying he was turned off by the fact that they bring somebody in just to do the main event. Uh, I wasn't as turned off by it. It didn't bother me. Um, maybe I didn't have the ego at the time to be insulted. I was just happy to be there. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 you know, I'm a free enterprise guy. So my thing is, you know what? Uh, we live in a country, and, and, and you live in a country as well, very similarly, that uh, you could, you know, you could grow up and, and, you know, 
come up with a catchphrase and work hard and get that catchphrase over to the point where you're worth millions and millions of dollars and that you have people that think that it's worth 10 grand to bring you in to do the main event of the show. And, and so that, and I don't know that he got 10 grand. That was just a rumor, but uh, you know, he obviously made more at probably one show than I was making in a couple of months, but that's not my business. My business was to get David Penzer over and to work hard and, and to put myself in a spot where I can maybe someday, you know, be in his spot or, or you know, make a, a better living or whatever. It, it wasn't my job to decide who should come and, and do it. Did I roll my eyes sometimes? You know, sure. You know, sometimes I did because it was, they were paying him a lot of money, you know, just to do a main event. But, you know, that's yeah. not my choice. It never bothered me. You know, sometimes, like I said, I roll my eyes. Never bothered me. I, I always respected the fact that he came up with "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" and he trademarked it and he made it huge. And to this day, he's still making millions of dollars off of it. So God bless him. That's the American dream. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've had a, f- a few very limited interactions with Mr. Buffer in my capacity working in boxing media. I've had the chance to to meet him a couple of times and engage in small talk. And while it was nothing more than that, he always come across as as very very friendly, very approachable, nice enough guy in that small capacity. Not quite sure the extent at which you would interact with him while you were both working at WCW. But how was he as a person to you? He was always great. He was always he was always very nice. Uh, never came off as you know ego or egomaniac or standoffish or anything like that. Uh, you know, he was, you know, he was proud of his, of his success and he would show me, you know, the video games that he was doing at the time, uh, and the different things that he was, that he was promoting using let's get ready to rumble. And, and, and so he, he was very proud of that, but he never in a braggadocious way. Uh, yeah. he just, it was like, you know, his baby. And, and I, I respected that as a matter of fact, uh, coming full circle, my, uh, brother, uh, went, uh, went to a boxing event in uh, South Florida, the uh, Hard Rock, uh, uh, it was at a casino in South Florida that the uh, Seminole Indians owned. And um, they, and, he, and Michael Buffer was there and he happened to see Michael Buffer, I guess, at the bar afterwards or something like that. And uh, they got to talk in some, some way, I don't remember how. And he goes, hey, I don't know if you remember my brother, his name is David Penzer. He was the ring announcer for WCW. And Michael's comment, whether he meant it or not, uh, to my brother was, to, uh, I mean, blew me over, blew me away when I heard about it. His comment was, yeah, certainly I re- remember him. He had talent. I was lucky. Wow. Meaning, you know, I came, I got lucky enough to come up with a catchphrase, but your brother really had to have the talent to, to be a ring announcer. That means, you know, the fact that he would remember that and say that, and, and I, I believe he probably believes that. Uh, that meant a lot to me all these years later, you know. So uh, he, he's he's a down to earth guy, very proud of what he's accomplished, very proud of his trademark. He will fight like hell to 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 protect that trademark uh, at any cost, and uh, and and good for him. He should makes him a lot of money. Yeah, fair play. Um, the next question I want to ask you is one that not only myself but Dean has also really been looking forward to posing to you because this is something. I mean, when you when you do a podcast covering WCW, there's so many things that come up again and again. There's there's plenty to choose from, but one in particular that almost seems like if we if we watch chronologically, it's going to like lead to some sort of mass explosion of fury is the production values at WCW. 
and in particular the way it pertained to yourself and other ring announcers and the commentary team, where a lot of the time we watch pay-per-views on Nitro and they've, they've not put your, your volume up to a suitable degree. I don't know if the live crowd can hear you properly, but we certainly can't on the coverage. Uh, there were so many times where you, you guys weren't giving your cues with... Shivani and the other commentators, and you'd accidentally talk over each other. So I remember Tony used to make little jokes about like whose whose permission it was to speak. It got that bad. It must have been so frustrating. Although I suppose when you do it week in week out, so I suppose you got used to it. But uh, we we couldn't wait to ask you about that because it was absolutely ludicrous values, and it must have been an uphill struggle trying to get through that. Um, I recall uh-huh. that, that, you know, I wasn't on, uh, see, I, and, and it might have been different on the UK broadcast, I don't know, uh, but I wasn't, I, I, my voice wasn't on camera that much. Um, when I first started and took over for Gary, Eric came up to me and said, I'm going to try something different. I want the announcers to talk over you. You're just, you'll just be the voice for the crowd, but we won't have you on TV so that they could spend that 30 seconds, 60 seconds of valuable television time promoting an event, promoting a t-shirt, promoting whatever. Do you, and he actually said to me, do you have a problem with that? I said, Eric, you pay, you pay my salary and you hired me and, and you know, it's not, it's not up to me whether you put my voice on TV, it's up to me to be the ring announcer. So a lot of times I wasn't uh, supposed to be online now whether they made a mistake and they forgot to turn me down and stuff like that yeah that happened but um but 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 there were there were certain times usually at the beginning of each pay-per-view uh where that i would be online because they needed something to pitch to so they would pitch to the ring um and and then but but uh i would just look at tony and tony would point to me and stuff like that so uh i, I i'd be interested to, to look back on some of the 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 stepping over each other because I, I, if it happened, it's one of those things you forget as you just remember, as you get older, you remember the good stuff, not the bad stuff. But there might have been some times where they forgot to turn me down in the truck and that became a problem because, you know, things were so hectic that I do remember sometimes they did, they did, they were like, uh, even in TNA, when I was in TNA, they would forget sometimes to turn me down in the truck and it would cause a problem. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear that, to be honest, because, yeah, the way you explain Bischoff's uh, strategic attempt to, to portray the production, it sounds like a fair enough idea. There were, I think between the fact, as you said, like, yeah, it definitely did waver just how audible or how inaudible you were. And also the fact that, she, especially later on, because it's been well documented, the, the commentary team started to stop caring when WCW really went off the rails uh, and Shivani just seemed to enjoy pointing out some of these things and you know, the over-talking of it and that's what really made it come across like but yeah um, if, if if I was to suggest one show on like on the network this is probably one of my favourite pay-per-views is uh, Spring Stampede 1999 and that's the one I remember I could, I could remember like half of the things Shivani was saying and the volume going up and down in particular. Definitely wasn't just that one, but if I was to refer anyone to see what Dean and I make jokes about all the time, that would probably be the best one. Um, so with all the WCW shows you attended, the pay-per-views, the nitros, the funders, uh, the tough times, the good times, is there one evening's work that stands out in your head as the absolute 
best evening of your WCW career? Um, yeah, and it and, and well, there's two of them. Okay. Uh, the, first, the first one is the Thunder from uh, Philadelphia, which probably it's funny. You, it, it, probably if you asked anybody who was there, they'd say it was the worst <laughs> performance of my career. Uh, what happened was. Um, there was an altercation at the gorilla position. I don't even remember who anymore. It's Scott Steiner and Terry Taylor, maybe, or Scott Hall and Terry Taylor. Uh, right after the pyre. So, so you know, basically, uh, Thunder was not live. It was live to tape. So I got, and, and Philadelphia is a city known for rowdy fans, even in the best case scenario. So I got the crowd all hyped up. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to uh, kick off Thunder all around the world on the television and five, four, three, two, one, music plays, pyro goes off, and everything stops. Like for 30 minutes, everything stopped. <laughs> and so I tried everything against this hostile crowd I could do to jokes to, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not really a good joke person, so it's not like I can even tell jokes. But, um, but I just, you know, tried to make small talk, and, and at some point, you know, you run out of things to say. You know, you could be the best person in the world to BS a crowd, but at some point, especially when they're booing you uh, vociferously because they walked in thunder and they were just all hyped up, and you got them to 10, and then you brought them back down to zero for a half hour uh, of their time, you know, with no real explanation, it was, it was, it could have been really bad. Um, eventually, towards the end, I ran out of stuff to do, and Diamond Dallas Page was, uh, was selling hype in his book, Positively Page, back then. So there was a copy of the book on the announce table. And I had uh, one of the, uh, produ the, the producers that were out at the, uh, at the, at the uh, announce position, I had them bring me the, the, the book. And almost, I'm a big Andy Kaufman fan. And if, I don't know if you remember Andy Kaufman, but sometimes yeah. at his shows every once in a while, he would read a book like until like the whole crowd left. Well, I just I started reading positively page to the crowd and turned myself. I, I was I, I knew that I was turning myself heel in the process, but it took it. it, it, it you know, people were angry then at me. They weren't angry at the promotion. They weren't angry at the time they had to sit there for nothing. They got angry at me. I don't know how long I could have gotten away with that. Thank God, after about five seven minutes of that, uh, we got going again. Um, but, but that, that, you know, I'm proud of that, not because it might have been my best work, but because a lot of pe other people would have <laughs> probably ran to the back and said, help me here, you know, I, I, and I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm drowning, and I just forged on and, and did what I had to do to keep the show, or lack of show, moving. The other time, the other thing I was proud of was the last Nitro uh, in Panama Beach. Uh, I knew that this was going to be the, the last night show. I didn't know what my future held. I didn't have a plan B uh, other than the wrestling business at that point. And so uh, I just decided I was going to go out there and I was going to be as positive and as, and as exciting and as excited as I could be and, you know, just get the crowd revved up and make it. If it was going to be the last damn night show, it was going to be the, the best damn crowd we ever had for the last damn night show. And, uh, and so I went out and did that. I'll never forget when I got back to the gorilla position after uh, thanking the audience. Uh, Shane McMahon, who had obviously been in the last segment, was there waiting for me. 
and he shook my hand and he said, I was really, really impressed by how hard you worked out there to keep that crowd going. You do, you did a great job. And it never led to anything because WCW uh, ended up not being a separate brand and, 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 and all that. But just the fact that I, you know, went out on, if that was going to be my last time ever, and thank God it wasn't, I went out on a high note and the new quote-unquote boss or one of them uh, saw enough uh, to, to, to thank me for that. So the, the, those are probably the two highlights, and both for totally different reasons. Yeah, not only that, Dave, but two different reasons, and also both, in, in a, to a certain extent, both very uh, poignant reasons as well. It's great to hear that. And I have to, I have to ask, um, was the, when you say about having to stall for 30 minutes, was this the infamous, uh, this was just after the tour of Germany in 2000? With I, Scott I, Hall? I don't remember. It was, I just remember it was in, uh, it was in Philadelphia. Uh, and I remember that there were, uh, like I said, they said, get the crowd going, five, four, three, two, one, they played the opening, the thunder, the pyro went off. See, that's the killer. If the pyro hadn't gone off, I probably, probably could have gotten away with it. Yeah. The pyro went off, everybody went, and then, and then the music stopped, and nothing happened for 30 minutes, and I wasn't aware of what was going on. I still, to this day, don't really know for sure, because I was in the ring, I wasn't back there, but, um, and, 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 you know, obviously, there was a situation that, a talent situation in the back that they had to deal with. I don't know if the elimination of, if maybe the talent that got involved with Terry Taylor, if they were supposed to be in the first segment, and that's, I don't remember if that's why uh, everything took so long, but it, 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 it really was like 25, 30 minutes, and I don't remember which one it was, um, but I do, uh, I'm sure you could probably find it if you Google it enough, but uh, I do remember that it was extremely uncomfortable um, you know, like I said, even the best of them run out of things to say. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, especially when you have a hostile audience that want, that came to see wrestling, not me. F- Philadelphia, me, no less. Blow, blow, thir- blow 30 minutes of their time on a microphone. You know, they, <laughs> they didn't come to see David Penzer live. They came to see WCW Thunder live. So... Yeah, of all the towns where it's happened, it had to happen in Philadelphia. But I did actually have... Uh, I was I was planning on asking about that because it was documented by Dave Meltzer in The Observer about the, the infamous trials and tribulations that led to Scott Hall getting fired from, you know, after a prolonged period where, when he got injured after Super Bowl. But I believe it, it, it could well be... That's exactly what you're speaking about. I'm going to assume it was. Because uh, I was going to ask about it anyway. But you brought up the... the Final, the Panama Nitro, the the end of the road, uh, which leads me to ask you know, a bit. Being backstage, I mean, you think about it, the last six months of working at those W after after a period of, of things going in a tailspin from being on top of the world to things being all over the place. Night nine two thousand. Those last six months must have been a roller coaster for everyone showing up to work day in day out because. There were, there were rumours of, of WWE making a purchase six months before they actually did. Then obviously Eric Bischoff had every intention of uh, uh, of buying it himself with a consortium and starting over independently. Uh, and it, you know the, the details to which he was planning looked like it was very nearly going to happen. And then obviously there we were with Shane McMahon on, and Vince McMahon on, on Nitro. So talk us through a little bit of the of the, the final few months timeline and, and the uncertainty there must have been backstage at WCW? You know, it's funny. I, it's, it's, 
it's, we live in a different world than we than we did then. And I, there was a, I don't know that anybody knew that that uh, that it was going to end the way it did. I don't know that anybody could have predicted it. I thought we all knew that somebody was going to buy the company and 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 take it over. Uh, uh, but, but I don't think anybody thought that they were going to take the company and not do anything with it. Uh, it. It was especially a roller coaster for me because I finally, in the last year, year and a half, and especially the last six months of WCW, had started uh, gaining people's trust and respect uh, in creative. And, and, and I, was, I sat on the creative. I was a junior member of the creative team. Uh, I, um, which was, you know, I talked earlier about booking my own territory, which was, you know, so something that was always the dream and, uh, involved in talent relations with Terry Taylor, which was something I really enjoyed. Uh, and, and, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but if Eric were to buy the company, if that ever went through his right hand man was going to be John Laurinaitis and John Laurinaitis's right hand man was going to be me. Oh. Uh, so, I mean, I was specifically told if Eric buys the company, they're moving it either to Vegas or California. You're going to have to move there. You're going to be my assistant. I'm going to be Eric's assistant. And I'm going to, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to really shine. And, you know, so, so, so for me, there was a little bit more at the end of the possible rainbow than just being the ring announcer. Uh, you know, if it had gone another way, you never know what, you know, what could have happened, but it didn't. And that's life. And, and, and I, you know, there's two kinds of people. There's a half, uh, a glass half empty kind of person and a glass half full. And I'm sort of luckily a glass half full type of person. I've had to recreate myself a few times now in my 52 years in, uh, on this earth and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, lesser, not to put myself over, but I know of other people who have a negative stance on things and, and, and have been in similar situations, not necessarily the wrestling business, that have been a lot less successful. Um, I don't know where I got it from, but, uh, you know, I just always push on. And and, and, and so, but but it was, I'm not going to lie, it was tough. When I turned on that, that computer, uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, somebody called me and said, turn on WCW.com. Oh, and yeah, the splash page. <laughs> Last page, the WWF logo, oh, and then man. right in the middle, purchases, and then the WCW logo. Yeah. I, I, there, I wasn't crying like a baby, but I had, there was this tear or two shed. Uh, you know, luckily, 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 uh, I got eight months severance pay, so it gave me nice. uh, <laughs> enough time. To, it gave me enough time to figure out uh, what the heck I was going to do with my life. And luckily enough, uh, the week after my severance pay ran out. I was hired by, I don't know if you remember this company called the XWF. That, uh, yes. Uh, they um, we're, we're, didn't end up making it. We didn't end up making it, but uh, we gave it a good shot and got a lot of people their jobs back with WWF at the time because uh, he, he, rated, he rated us to the point where uh, when Jerry Lawler came to, to do the color commentary, he basically said, uh, I'm, I'm going to, because uh, it was on a weekend, basically said oh i'm gonna be on raw on monday and we had to make a deal with him to, to let him you know to, to use him anyway even though we knew that he was gonna by the time we we were able to take those tapes and post produce them uh that he was going to be the voice of raw again and and that's what we had you know and then kurt henning went hulk hogan who was involved went back up there um mean gene went back up bobby Heenan went back up for a little bit uh 
it got a lot of people. Uh, Roddy Piper went back up. Got a lot of people jobs. So when we started, when we edited those tapes, and we started shopping them around, like fortunately, there, the talent that we had on the, on the tapes were all. In, a lot of them were in WWF at the time, and so we were we were shopping a, a, a pilot that could never be followed up, and because of the all the talent. So. Um, but it was still an amazing experience. Uh, it moved me to Tampa, where I've lived ever since, and uh, and and and, and uh, you know it was a great experience. I did everything from uh, being in charge of talent relations to uh, heavily involved in writing the shows, producing the shows, um, and even down to uh, going to edit the shows. Not actually sit there with on an edit machine, but sit in the studio and you know tell the guy you know. Uh, he says, all right, you still have, you know, five minutes to cut. Where do you want to cut from? And we'd have to decide what we're going to cut and how we're going to get creative. And that was the first and only time I ever did anything like that. So it was, it was a great experience and, uh, you know, it paid the bills for a couple of years. So bust them. Yeah, nice one. And uh, it's funny you do mention the XWF because... Uh, the British wrestling scene over here has actually utilized that same business model of, uh, you know, put, putting together some, some forward movements with World of Sport Wrestling and a few other really successful promotions and a bit of popularity, which has, which has caused WWE to take, to take notice. And <laughs> lo and behold, you have NXT UK and all those guys being signed up to contracts and getting paid more than they, they were before. So it, it does work in a roundabout way like that. But you mentioned the, the glass half full, glass half empty thing. And you know what? I'm, I'm really glad, Dave, that you did have that glass half full mentality and you made the most of things after WCW. I have to be honest, when it comes to that particular subject matter, I, I, I can't say the same of myself. Uh, WCW going out of business was gutting to me. This is one of the reasons why we have a WCW podcast. And you talk about booking your own uh, angles, like writing down some some ideas and stuff. Uh, my my particular poison is actually what if WCW carried on under Fusion, uh, which our readers can read in the Google Doc, and I plug at every opportunity. Um, I I have no doubt. I have no doubt that I'd be a VP of something uh, by now. Uh, there's not a doubt in my mind that you know that if WCW was still a uh, company, that I'd be vice executive vice president or vice president in something, probably talent relations. Uh, but uh, but there's not a doubt in my mind. But you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda didn't happen. Ah, uh, so, in, in yeah. my in my fusion, Dave, you would definitely be one of the top boys. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, Let's let's finish on one one more question. Something I want to ask you is there, you know, off the, off the top of your head, is there a, a typically balmy, crazy WCW story that maybe the majority of our of our listenership hasn't heard yet that you can offer from your time on the road and behind the scenes? Oh, geez, um, probably that. I mean, probably the craziest one was the was the one I talked about in Philly, and I don't. Yeah. Even, Fair enough. All, I don't even know all the details. I'm, that's a great final question, and I'm sorry to let you down. I mean, we had a lot of good times, uh, a lot of fun times. Uh, I was just reminiscing with Chris Jericho about how uh, at the, uh, uh, the Philadelphia Hilton Hotel, uh, we, we, were, we were fooling around, tomfoolery kind of stuff, and I did something to annoy him and Jericho and him and, him and Benoit, and they like, gave me uh, till like uh, – uh, like a two minute clock to like get the heck out of the bar. We were, we were all playing. And, um, uh, and, 
and so I, I, I just sat there and kind of gave him a grin. And as soon as uh, as soon as uh, they, they counted down, they uh, Jericho said hockey fight, and he <laughs> took my uh, got my sweater and uh, and he took my sweater off, and I'm walking around uh, the lobby of the the Hilton, the Philadelphia Hilton without a top on trying to get my sweater back. And then he's like, so, uh, they got annoyed by that. So they ended up taking my pants off and I'm sitting in my tiny <laughs> whitey in, in the lobby. Finally, I went upstairs and changed. The ironic part of all of that is it later found itself on an episode of hard copy where they were touting, uh, you know, uh, uh crazy, uh, what the crazy wrestlers do after the matches. And, uh, somebody had gotten uh, video footage from the security camera of that whole thing, and they aired it. And I thought for sure I was going to get fired, but they, they they had been so worried about what what they could have had on hidden camera that when it turned out it was just you know a little horseplay with me and some of the guys and me and my underwear. Uh, I, they actually thanked me for taking a bullet for uh, for what could have been a lot worse. One other story: I was in San Antonio one time. Me and Scott Hall still joke about the story. Uh, he's very proud of it, and he should be. We were in uh, San Antonio one time, and he was uh, dating uh, one of the, the producers. So, uh, and I used to hang out with a guy named Keith Mitchell, who still to this day was is the producer for Impact Wrestling, and um, I think does some uh, the production, executive production for Aerolux, Don and Ron Harris, the, the, the upstart promotion that they have, and. Um, yeah, I was friends with friendly with him because he lived in the same little town as I did, Peachtree City. Uh, some of the boys lived there, and he lived there. And, and so we were uh, walking on uh, uh, city uh, uh, city walk to a bar, and I had my co- cowboy boots on and nice jeans. I was all dolled up, and uh, Scott was there with his girlfriend and Keith Mitchell and a couple other production people, and Scott pretended he was going to throw me in the water because it's surrounded by water. And uh, and I looked at him and I said, and I knew exactly what was going to happen when I said it. I said, Scott, you don't have a hair on your ass if you don't throw me in that water after you just pretended to. Boom, the next thing I know, I'm fully clothed in city walk in the river. <laughs> and, 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 and I deserved every bit of it. Uh, you know, I knew exactly when I said what I said. That I was going in the river, but it's just one of those moments where you make a decision and, you know, you say something that, that, that in hindsight kind of seems dumb. Uh, but, uh, and, and so I had to go and, and, uh, and go walk back to the hotel about a quarter of a mile and soaking wet jeans and cowboy boots and all that and take a shower and change. And, and finally met them back at the bar. They were really impressed that I got... I took a shower, got dressed, and I made it back to the bar in about, in about a half an hour. So uh, Scott still loves telling that story. Uh, uh, I, I saw him a, about a month ago, and, and he, was, he, was, he walked in. He goes, I was just telling my driver the story about me pushing you into the river walk. And I'm like, still tell that story. Huh? He's like, one of my favorites. Scott, you know, Scott, I'll tell you what, Scott Hall has had his, his issues, and he'd be the first to admit it. But when Scott Hall, and I've said this, I interviewed him on my podcast, City Ringside, and and I said this, uh, when Scott Hall is is good, in a good position in life, in a good spot, uh, his head is clear, Scott is one of the smartest, funniest, wittiest guys uh, I've ever met in this business, and one of the nicest guys I've ever met in this business. And uh, uh, so, 
Uh, Jericho asked me today, which was the favorite uh, episode I ever did, sitting ringside so far. And it was tough because I've had a lot of fun doing almost all of them, but I had to say Scott Hall because he's just a, such a smart guy and finger right on the pulse of not only what happened in WCW and WWF back in the day, but what's going on now in a totally different business and an ever-changing business. So, uh, but yeah, he pushed me in the water. So, yeah, kind of a little bit of behind-the-scenes debauchery that went on, a lot that can't be talked about for to protect uh, the innocent or protect <laughs> the guilty. Uh, you know, everybody always says when you get to write a book, and I, I can't write a book because I'd be, I, in order for me to write a book that's interesting, I'd be stooging myself off and all of my friends off. So uh, You'd you be know, chucked in a lot uh, more bodies of water, wouldn't you? Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> so, you know, either so you either write a book or, and piss everybody off and make a couple of dollars or you uh, or, or, or you don't write a book and, 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 and uh, uh, you don't go down with the ship because, uh, you know, so many of those things, you know, probably don't look good uh, 20 years later, uh, especially with, uh, you know, people's kids listening to them. And, you know, it's, I won't go any farther than that. But uh, <laughs> there was some a little bit of debauchery out there on the road uh, back in that time. And uh, and we had, well, we had a blast, but uh, stuff's not anything that could be talked about for the most part. Yeah, we can only imagine, to be honest. But I, I want to thank you for at least taking the time to offer the insight that you are uh, uh, liberty to discuss with us. It's, it's been a fascinating insight behind the scenes of, of a company that, that's still got so many fans to this day, uh, through the good and the bad. And yeah, if any of you guys have not yet checked out Sitting Ringside, David Penzer's uh, podcast of his own, uh, make sure you download a few episodes, get into binge listening that. Uh, Dave, if you want to finish by telling us exactly where Sitting Ringside can be found, can be found iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. Uh, and if you want to follow me uh, and engage with me at all, uh, I enjoy talking on Twitter and, and bantering about different subjects in the wrestling business. Uh, uh, it's it's easy. It's at David Penzer, all one word: D A V I D P E N Z E R. And I had a blast talking to you. Anytime you want me to come back and uh, and, and talk uh, talk WCW, I'm happy to do it. It's uh, you know, it's funny, you know, they say time heals all, uh, all wounds, and it, it sort of does, because it was, uh, it was it was rough, there were rough parts uh, uh, towards the end, but luckily for me, all I have now is my, 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 my mind has stay, uh, stayed uh, engaged with the happy memories, and most of the bad memories uh, have, have, have long been put, in, you know, to bed in, in my head, so... Uh, so it's it's nothing but I look back with nothing but uh, gratitude and you know hey I got to live my dream and uh, even though I got to keep living it in various sundry ways uh, you know that was the impetus that that, that got me there and uh, that's what a lot of people still remember me for uh, so um, I'm blessed and uh, uh, that anybody knows who I am and that anybody wants to talk to me on a podcast or listen to my podcast or 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 even remembers that I was a part of their childhood. Uh, it just uh, it's just a blessing, and 
and I, I want I want everybody to know I had as much fun as y'all. I had as much fun living it as y'all did watching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly did have fun watching it, and it's been a lot of fun just uh, looking back down memory lane with you. We will certainly hold you to that, Dave. If you ever want to chat those though with us, we'll gladly have you back on again. But for now, it's been a pleasure to speak to you about those days, and all the best with your future projects. And I know the the, the podcast will keep raging on and yeah we'll, we'll hopefully speak to you down the line my pleasure to be here and uh like i said anytime i enjoy chatting and uh that's actually why i ended up starting a podcast because i people had people had me on their podcast and i wouldn't shut up so somebody <laughs> said well if you're not gonna if you're not gonna shut up you might as well do your own podcast and, yeah uh, the rest is history that's that's but, pretty uh, much us thank too thank you for your time thank you for your dedication to wcw uh, I will tell you that there uh, is going to be a. I, I have no, nothing to do with it other than um, I worked uh, for the gentleman uh, uh, in his first show, but there's going to be a gentleman in Orlando uh, in 2019 that's doing a WCW reunion in uh, over a weekend in Orlando. Oh man! Uh, you could follow him. It's his company's called the Wrestling Rewind. Uh, it's on Facebook. It's also on Twitter. Uh, T. W Rewind at TW Rewind. He did a Hall and Nash event that was so well done for a first time event. Uh, I couldn't stop putting it over on my podcast. And uh, he's organizing a WCW convention. He's going to get some of the guys from Japan, some Nitro Girls, and a whole bunch of surprises. Uh, I intend to be there and and maybe we get you guys. Maybe you guys can make a trip over and uh, uh, we could do something. Uh, we could do something live. Oh, well, the first thing I'm going to do when we hang up here is look that one up because I wasn't aware of this, and that's really got my interest. I'm I'm already trying to justify getting over to New York for WrestleMania weekend. I'm a huge, huge fan of heading over that way because I've been there for a few uh, boxing events, UFC events. I've done the last two MSG uh, UFC events. It's been amazing because I've had Conor McGregor, Michael Bisping in from the, from the British and Irish perspective. And I love any excuse to go over there and see my friends in New York and Philly. So, so it looks like next year is going to be WrestleMania weekend and hopefully a trip to Orlando for, 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 for guys like us. That'd be an absolute pilgrimage. Yeah, I don't know when he's doing it. Uh, I don't know that he's settled on a day yet. If he hasn't, he hasn't made it public. Uh, I just told him, I had, I just told the guy, I said, I have a uh, total, uh, total uh, support for anything you do you're a class act and if i could help in any way let me know so uh we stay in touch a little bit on personal message and uh i do know that he is planning a weekend in 2019 i do know he's working with sunny ono to bring over some japanese guys and that he's working with some nitro girls and, and maybe some also bring out some of the not only some of the big names from wcw but some of the more obscure names uh you know uh sort of where are they now kind of thing so uh looking forward to it and uh, like i said hopefully we'll see you there oh man yeah dave thank you so much for your time all the best and yeah hopefully we'll see you in florida for that event <laughs> so, sounds good man i look forward to it listen up slap nuts that's right this is jeff jarrett the chosen one and you're listening to because wcw now choke on that wow awesome stuff awesome stuff what a bloke what a great bloke yeah i i love it when we get the opportunity to chat to guys who were there in wcw uh and you know don't get me wrong jeff jack was awesome he was funny he was engaging but david pence could just talk to you for hours 
Yeah, I, I kind of felt guilty about hanging the phone up, but I knew his his, his, his <laughs> family. I heard you know when he first took the call, his family were in the house. He went into another room to take to to very kindly do this for us, and uh, yeah, I, I thought I don't, I don't want to hold you on as much as I could. Just absolutely burn his ears with conversation about WCW. Uh, but that was brilliant. I, you know, and you never. I'd love to have him back one day. You never know. And and hey, we we all we all did our own little bit of fantasy booking as kids as well. Yeah, that's that's good. We, I feel like we're forming a little support group here. Yeah, well, that's the sad thing. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone for anyone sad enough to read that, the the link is actually still on the Hugo because those Look at the links on the side. You'll see. What if Fusion bought WCW? I try and I try and wax lyrical a little bit for it. Saying I could do a little bit of my spare time if I'm on a long train or something. I'll add another week or two of nitros. I've got to the point now after a few years of chipping away. I'm up to. The August 2003 pay-per-view after the reboot of the Big Bang. I went with a Big Bang idea that we all heard about that nearly happened in 2001. And two and a half years later, Battle Bowl 2003, August. Uh, yeah, so just come along for the ride. Let me know what you think. It's Why not? Great stuff. Okay, folks. Well, uh, we are out of time on this episode. We'll be back very shortly with... Uh, another episode. I guess it'll be probably time for a, a watch on of episode two of Monday Nitro next. I can't wait to get that going, but without spoiling too much, we also have a couple of really exciting pay-per-view features coming up as well. I love the fact that we're just coming at our listeners with all these different types of in, uh, or, of episodes. And yeah, mark our words, none of them are going to fall by the wayside. As long as we keep getting the chance to speak to these amazing people, we'll bring you content from WCW alumni. Uh, as long as pay-per-views such as Havoc 91 don't make me and Dean want to jump off cliffs. Again, <laughs> again, not the same cliff, not in the same bed. Uh, or, we'll or the roof of the Kobo Hall. Or the roof of Kobo Hall. <laughs> Uh, as long as we don't get those sort of urges, we will continue to do those. And yet we will definitely see how far we can take this uh, Nitro watch along thing because it's very easy to knock out. And I had a lot of fun doing the first one. So let's try and make a thing of this. I'm definitely. confident we can keep doing that until... Yeah. 99 99 will, will challenge us but we were you know 95 96 97 nitro was hot shit so we'll be yeah. fine cool thank you very much for downloading this wherever you may uh, have got us from podbean or itunes or uh, or anywhere else um don't forget please do give us a follow on twitter at because wcw or on facebook.com forward slash because wcw quick plug for a couple of uh, places i'll be appearing at shortly Oh, I'm commentating for IPW. We've got a big show in uh, in my home county in East Sussex, in Eastbourne, um, on Monday, November the 12th at My Skate World. And then on Friday, November the 30th, we are back in the Westgate Hall in the beautiful city of Canterbury uh, for another show there. And November marks my 25th anniversary in the wrestling business. So how about that? Oh, someone will get me a cake wheat free please um so uh yes that is all from uh for this episode we'll be back very shortly with another episode of because wcw's on behalf of my co-host liam hat this is the twisted genius dean ayer saying thanks for listening and i'll see you ringside